For the next four weeks, the podcast will have lessons focusing on some fundamental topics to Christianity. Today's lesson, Glorying in the Cross, by Mike Vestal, uses the cross to reveal the magnificent glory of God. When we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, we should see it as the stage for God revealing His glory in all of His greatness and all of His splendor. Join us in considering this foundational element of Christianity, the cross of Christ. How we need the glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is the stage upon which the glory of God is most clearly revealed. We need to look at the cross in a number of different ways. We need to think of the cross in terms of salvation. We need to think of the cross in terms of victory. But as great and as marvelous as those concepts are, we must also think of the cross in terms of revelation. The cross reveals the magnificent glory of God. The Bible has a lot to say about God's glory. In Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. When Jesus walked this earth after his first miracle, turning water into wine, in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, the Word of God says that that miracle manifested or declared His glory, that He indeed had been sent by God the Father. In John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said, What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For to this hour have I come. Father, glorify your Son. And there is a statement made by God in response. When Jesus says, glorify your name and glorify your Son, God answers from heaven and says, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it. In John 17 and verse 1, we see the glory of God as the hour for Jesus to be taken away is seen. He says, Father, glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Oh, when we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, we need to see it as the stage for God revealing His glory in all of His greatness and in all of His splendor. As we think about glorying in the cross, one might ask, how does the cross serve as a revelation about God? How does the cross reveal God? How can we see the nature and character of God in the cross? Well, those are good questions, well worth our considering together. In the first place, when we think about the cross of Christ, we see the holiness 
of our glorious God. We see the glory of His holiness. In 1 Samuel 2 and verse 2, the Word of God says, There is none as holy as the Lord. Of all the qualities, of all the attributes of God, holiness is the only one that is three-peated in God's Word. And here's what I mean by that. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah 6 and verse 3, in the New Testament, in Revelation 4 verse 8, the Bible says, holy, holy, holy. God is the absolute embodiment of holiness. And we see that in the cross. Habakkuk 1 verses 12 and 13 state, Art thou not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One. And then it goes on to reveal that God is of purer eyes than to look upon sin. Sin separates men from God. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. And when we think about defining or describing holiness, holiness has to do with the absolute separation that God has from all that is wicked and evil and sinful and the absolute and total purity that he possesses. Holiness has to do with God's great love for what is good and his great hatred for what is evil. Psalm 97 and verse 10. Amos 5 and verse 15. In the cross, we see the great holiness of God revealed. But not just that. In the cross of Christ, we see God's holiness to be sure, but we also see God's wrath. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3 and verse 23. There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3 verses 9 and 10. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6 and verse 23. We see in the cross of Christ not just the holiness of God, His absolute hatred of sin and His love for what is pure and good and right. We see in the cross of Jesus the holiness and the wrath of God. The wrath of God has been revealed against all unrighteousness. Romans 1 and verse 18. God shows wrath to the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 5 and verse 6. Those who do not trust and obey God, according to John 3 and verse 36, the wrath of God abides in them. What a serious and awful thing. You see, when we sin, God not only hates the sin that we have committed, the wrong that we have done, but our wrong hurts Him, offends Him. He is angry. The Bible speaks of the wrath of the Lamb in Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. And then verse 17 says, The great day of His wrath has come, and who is able to? To stand? It's a rhetorical question. 
Just as God is perfect in His holiness, God is also perfect in His wrath. Our God is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12 and verse 29. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, Hebrews 10, 31. In the cross of Christ, we see God's wrath. And the Word of God uses a word. The word is propitiation. Propitiation, it's found several times in Scripture. It's found in Romans chapter 3 and verse 25. It's found in 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. And 1 John 4 verses 9 and 10. In its verb form, it's found in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. The word propitiation means to appease. To appease the wrath. And what is so amazing about this is that The blood of Jesus causes God to no longer be angry with us as sinners. Our sins are washed away, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Ephesians 1 verse 7. So yes, the cross is the stage upon which the glory of God is most clearly seen. We can see so much about God as we contemplate the cross. We've looked at how we can see something of God's holiness, His hatred of sin. We've considered how we have a God who's angry or shows wrath about sin and how the death of Jesus at the cross does something about that, how that God, being the type of God that He is, demanded that something be done for sin and God in His great goodness provided that very something, someone, Jesus. But as we continue, we need to think about the cross of Christ And how the cross of Christ shows the glory of God's mercy. The glory of His mercy. Were it not for God's mercy, we would be consumed. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 25. We see a God who is rich in mercy when we look at the New Testament. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. Mercy means we are not treated as we deserve to be treated. God is a God of mercy, and that is seen at the cross of Christ. It's been well said in an old, old hymn, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, we are reminded in Scripture that we were not saved by works of righteousness that we have done. We were saved by the mercy and kindness and goodness and love of God. No one will go to heaven 
without realizing and being greatly humbled by the magnificent mercy of God. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, Jesus became sin, although he knew no sin, for us. In the cross, we see the mercy of God. And in Romans 8 and verse 32, the Bible speaks of our unsparing God and says that he spared not his own son. And if God in his mercy toward us would not even spare his own son, but sent him for us, none of us should ever doubt his mercy. What a great and marvelous God we serve. And we see that at the cross. In the fourth place, in the cross of Christ, we see the great love of God. We see his tremendous love. And Paul would speak of the love of God and say that it's impossible to comprehend the breadth, the length, the depth, and height of God's love, which passes understanding, Ephesians 3, verses 17 through 19. But when you and I look at the cross, we will see the love of God, God's glorious love. In Jeremiah 31, in verse 3, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. 1 John 4 and verse 8, God is love. According to 1 John 4 verses 9 and 10, it's not love that we loved him first, but rather that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We are saved from God's wrath by the blood of Jesus. Romans 5 verses 8 through 10. And in Jesus Christ, we see the magnificent love of God. John 3 and verse 16 uses a little adverb, an adverb of manner or to, of degree to describe the great love of God. And the word of God says, for God so loved the world. There is an ocean of meaning in that little word, so. For God so loved the world. And friends, he didn't just love those who were moral and good and kind and sweet. If you look at Romans chapter 5 and its beautiful depiction of God's love, God loved those who were ungodly. And without strength. Romans 5 and verse 6. God loved those who were sinners. Romans 5 and verse 8. And that's all. God loves those who were his enemies. Romans 5 and verse 10. When we think about the awfulness of sin and the holiness of God and his wrath regarding sin, how thankful we should be for the mercy and love of God that's seen at the cross. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46, 
Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In saying that, he quoted from Psalm, the 22nd chapter, and verse 1. Jesus was forsaken for a while so that you and I would never have to know what it means to be without God and without hope. So when we think about the cross of Christ, what we must see is this. The cross is a revelation of God's love. And as we continue this study of how the cross is not just something that we should think about in terms of salvation, as important as that is, how the cross is not something we should simply think about in terms of victory, as important and as wonderful as that theme might be, the cross is a matter of revelation. The cross is the stage upon which the glory of God is most clearly revealed. We can see so much about the nature and attributes of God. When we seriously think about the cross, the closer we draw to the cross, the closer we will draw to the God behind that cross. Fifth and finally, as we think about glorying in the cross and what is involved in that, what's entailed in that, in the cross of Christ we see this quality of God. We see the grace of God. The grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. Ephesians 1 and verse 7 and Ephesians 2 and verse 7 each speak of the riches of God's grace. In 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, the apostle Paul through the Spirit said, You yourselves know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he for your sakes became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. It can be said that Christianity stands or falls on the matter of grace. There's no religion on earth that has anything that remotely compares to the grace of God as seen at the cross. In John chapter 19 and verse 30, our Lord cried, It is finished. The debt has been paid in full. An old spiritual song says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Here's three commonly given definitions of grace which help us to appreciate the scope and the magnitude and the richness of the word. Some people have defined grace, and rightly so, as unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. That's a good definition of grace as far as it goes. But it's sort of like describing my wife's chocolate cake. 
Unmerited favor is good, but it doesn't describe as richly and fully as one might like what her cake is like and certainly not what God's grace is like. Maybe you've seen the acronym G-R-A-C-E. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a good definition too because it adds another nuance of understanding to the word. But also we need to think about grace in this light. And here's another definition commonly given for the word. Grace is favor bestowed when wrath was owed. Favor given freely and generously when anger, when wrath was owed. And what I would suggest is that we put all three of those commonly uh, given definitions together and we can see something about the grace of God and how it's revealed at the cross. Grace is unmerited favor at Christ's expense when anger was owed. Now that's a tremendous concept. Unmerited favor at Christ's expense when anger was owed. We are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. We should stand in the amazing grace of God. 1 Peter 5 and verse 12. We should grow in God's grace and knowledge. 2 Peter 3, 18. We should continue in the grace of God. Acts 13 and verse 43. When we look at the cross of Christ, we see the powerful and amazing grace of God. We are reminded that our righteousness, no matter how good and moral we might be, is as filthy rags to God. Isaiah 64, verses 7 and 8. We see that after we have done all that we can do, we are still unprofitable servants. Luke 17 and verse 10. When we see the cross, we are reminded of the grace of God and we must come to the understanding that we do not have the moral integrity or the mental ability to approach God and to be right in His sight apart from Jesus and His grace. Well, so far we've considered five great qualities of God that are beautifully revealed at the cross. We have considered God's holiness. We have considered His wrath regarding sin and how He is hurt and offended when we sin. Ultimately, all sin is against God. We may sin against someone else. We may be involved in a secret sin that no one knows about except us and the Lord. We have thought about the mercy of God at the cross. 
Think about that mercy, even extended by our Lord to the penitent thief on the cross next to him. We've thought about the love of God that made Jesus come to this world and go to the cross. And we've considered grace. The old song says it so well. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. In looking at these qualities of God, we can't help but be humbled. We can't help but be made more thankful and appreciative for a God like that. In 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 9, David said to his son Solomon, Only know the God of your father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. In John 17, verse 3, Jesus says, It is eternal life to know God and the one that he has sent, even Christ. The Apostle Paul would say in Philippians 3 and verse 10, and here's a man who's seen so much and done so much as an apostle of the Lord. He would say, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. When we view the cross, the cross does speak of salvation. The cross does speak of victory. But the cross reveals a God that you and I must be greatly interested in knowing truly, deeply, richly, and intimately. When the Lord was on that cross, a soldier said, Truly this man was the Son of God. And when we think about all of the purposes of God and all the revelation of God that we are given in the cross, we say the same thing. Truly this man was the Son of God. In Galatians 6 and verse 14, the Bible says, God forbid I should glory, save in the cross of Christ, by whom the world was crucified to me and I to the world. When we think about the revelation of God as seen at the cross, self must die on the altar. Self must surrender to the Savior. There is no greater, there is no higher, there is no nobler knowledge than the knowledge of God. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Jeremiah would say in that passage, Let him who glories, glory in this, that he knows me. Oh, friend... Is it your greatest desire, your ultimate priority to know Jesus? Look at the cross 
and it's there. You'll see the stage that reveals the awesomeness of God.